Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of The ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Joined by a return guest, someone that I'm interested in hearing his thoughts on some of the current topics in the world of sports, in particular, the new college opportunity of the NIL for kids to make some possible money. Former Executive Vice President of Business Operations for the Chicago Bulls, friend of mine, Steve Shanwald. Steve, thanks for joining. I know uh summer times you spend in chicago still there is a tea time on the horizon so i appreciate you joining for a few minutes today great to be with you always dan so i guess first most important question is where is the tea time today and uh do you have the gambling game lined up yet yeah the, it's a wolf game i don't know if you've ever played a wolf game but the tea times at noon at medina today and i've actually played with uh Recently with uh, uh, your friend and uh, somebody familiar to everybody there in Spokane, Corey Kispert, who's got a really serious game, by the way. And we're supposed to play at Olympia Fields actually next Wednesday again, if it doesn't interfere with all his preparations for the draft. But great game, great kid, and um, we had a good time. You know, that's great to hear that you, you were able to connect with him and get out on the course and it sounds like you're going to again. With your experience on the business side of a front office, I understand and I know you've got to be tied in to a certain extent with the basketball side that makes all the decisions uh, leading up to a draft, leading up to free agency. Um, How much or is there any input from the business side uh, in regards to maybe uh, something that you see character-wise with a player where you can kind of just add some of your side's input? In our organization, absolutely zero. Um, I can't speak for other organizations, but in our organization, the judgment of uh, a player's ability and his character ruled the day. And uh, I I do remember once there was a player that – that uh, our owner was hoping we would not draft. I won't mention the player's name, uh, but uh, and he and he communicated that to the basketball people, to the general manager, and it had to do with the the player's hair, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, and nothing, of course, regarding ability because our owner wasn't qualified to judge on that. But it had to do with the player's hair, and thank God, uh, our. Um, our basketball staff had the courage to overrule our owner and not go with his judgment. He, it was the only time uh, in my 
almost 30 years with the Bulls that I can remember Jerry Reinsdorf ever weighing in on who he hoped or hoped we would not draft. And uh, he was certainly proven wrong about what we ended up doing. Um, hair is not a good way to judge talent. <laughs> Absolutely not. If, if that were the case, myself, Adam Morrison, uh, Roni Turioff, <laughs> former Zags, we probably would have slid even further down uh, the draft boards. That's Actually, sure. Dan, you were that player. <laughs> I'm going to guess. Now, you, you can say you can agree with it and say I'm right or wrong. I, obviously, you didn't want to name the player, but I'm going to guess that was Joachim Noah. Am I correct? I'm not going to confirm or deny. <laughs> just had a hunch there, just kind of when you talked about a few of those things and then the impact <laughs> that he had on the court. So uh, he was a tremendous player, that's for sure. Um, you know, mentioned that there's a lot of current news right now in regards to NCAA kind of eligibility, NCAA opportunities to make money, how they handle their business, I guess, is the best way to put it. And I think the biggest thing in the news is the NIL, name image likeness, that just went into effect on July 1st, allowing college student athletes uh, to make money off of exactly that, their name, their image, their likeness. I think it's a step in the right direction. I think we're entering the wild, wild west as far as people not understanding and knowing truly how sports marketing works. Yourself having an extensive background in multiple levels, both college, professional, baseball, basketball. How do you see the NIL is going to work? Well, you know, Dan, on, on balance, I have to say that while I'm, I'm on balance, weighing everything out, the positives and the negatives, I have to say on balance, I don't think NIL is good for the game. And I'll give you my reasons. Um, number one, taking basketball, for example, or football or any team sport, uh, I think it's going to lead to some degree of me over we, where it should be we over me in a team sport. And I think there's going to be selfishness creep in. I think players are going to want to get their shots, get 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 their points uh, so that they can increase their profile and their demand so that they can monetize that. So I'm, I'm concerned about that. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, yesterday, January 1st uh, of 2021, that college sports lost its, its innocence a little bit. I don't think it'll ever be the same or have the same uh, kind of innocent vibe. I think it's great that some college athletes, a select few, uh, will be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Uh, but it's only going to benefit a select few, and it will mean nothing or very little to the vast majority, I'd say 99%, maybe more than that, of college athletes. Uh, and I think many college athletes, you know, I've been looking around uh, social media these days, and I see athletes are, are really taking out ads on their social media, letting People who follow them know that they're interested and available if anybody wants to form some sort of a business partnership or business relationship. And I think they're going to be, many of them are going to be surprised when they don't get uh, any kind of a positive response uh, to those solicitations. Um, I think that those guys would be better served working on their craft, working on their game, becoming the best a player, best athlete they can be because their performance uh, will speak loudest on the court, much louder than the ads that they take out on their social media page. 
And, uh, and, and if they do great things athletically, uh, then sponsorships, sponsors, companies, opportunities will present themselves and, and those companies will be the path to the athlete's door. That's where, uh, that's, that's really where, where it's at for the athlete. And I, I don't want them to become so distracted by this new welcome opportunity that they fail to understand that their bread is buttered in the gym or on the course or on the court or on the ice or wherever it is on the field. Um, job number one is to be the, become the best athlete you can be. And then everything else will fall into place from there. That's uh, some great words of advice and a great outlook to take on that. You know, when I was, even when I was a player in the NBA, I would have some small opportunities come here or there. Um, but even those small opportunities take time out of your day, whether it's, as you mentioned, working on your craft or when you're in the NBA, take time away from, from your family. And so you have to kind of discern which ones might be the most uh, important to you that you would want to partner with. Because again, you don't want to partner with just anything. There was multiple companies that offered me things in, in, in my pro career that I didn't want anything to do with the company. I, I didn't believe in their product or I didn't think that that's something that uh, I wanted to be associated with. So I passed. And I think that's something that unfortunately, I think some young kids uh, aren't going to think through clearly because they're going to see an opportunity and think themselves of themselves or, or herself as a business person at the time, as opposed to an athlete. And Dan, last... Dan, Dan, and I worry about kids getting taken advantage of too. Sure. If I may, for those athletes, current collegiate athletes or high school athletes that are listening to your podcast, you know, let me just mention a couple of things that I think they need to keep in mind. First, first of all, they, they should definitely grow their social media base um, you know, and let the world out there that they're eager to help companies grow their brand. There's no, no problem with that, but they need to hire somebody that they trust uh, to be their exclusive representative and, and to solicit interest in a partnership. They shouldn't be out there knocking on doors and say, hey, do you want to hire me? Um, that's a little bit unseemly, I think. I think they need to be, as you just mentioned, selective. Uh, don't endorse anything or be associated with anything that reflects badly on your image or doesn't reflect uh, who you are as a person or your values. Um, you know, the people will wonder, kids will wonder, well, what kind of fee should I charge? Well, it, as you know, Dan, it, it depends. How much time are they looking for from you? What's the length of the deal? Is it TV? Is it radio? Is it just social media? Is it print? You know, speeches, personal appearances. So what you charge depends on many things. Uh, there needs to be a definite start and stop date to this, you know, to any agreement you would reach. Any agreement you reach has to be in writing and it has to be reviewed by an attorney. Um, the best candidates uh, for people to uh, to uh, have relationships with athletes are the people who are currently advertising within that athletic program, either in print ads or in signage in the arena or stadium. Um, those are the people that I would, would go to first. And the other people I'd go to first are the people who make products that you currently use because your endorsement then would be, you know, very, very real. I would say that I've, I've observed that Stanford and North Carolina State, and I'm sure there are others, are way ahead of the game in terms of trying to educate and 
and make sure their players do things the right way in this new world of collegiate athletics, this NIL world. Um, if, if you look at what Stanford's doing, if you go to their website, if you look at what NC State's doing uh, with their student athletes, I, I just think they're way ahead of the curve. I'm sure there are many others, but I'm familiar with NC State and Stanford. And um, I, I applaud them for, for trying to navigate this very, very complex landscape. <laughs> complex is right. Um, but I want to go back to one thing that you had said in the previous uh, uh, question that was asked, and that was if you essentially take a small dollar amount and value that opportunity with those hours versus improvement in your craft, you might shortchange your earning potential in the long range. Um, because if you don't become the athlete that maybe you possibly could, you are limiting your opportunities to make bigger dollars, maybe as a professional athlete, or to become a better player. So maybe at the end of your time at a university, your name resonates even more and it opens up different job opportunities. Uh, I, I think that's something that definitely needs to be very well thought out by many players is what is the short-term versus the long-term effects of these decisions? Well, Dan, as you know, to become an elite athlete as you were and as so many others are, uh, you have to have to, to get to the NBA like you did uh, takes complete focus. And and now I see a lot of these I'm, I'm getting the sense that a lot of these athletes have a divided focus. You know what? You know, part of their focus is now directed towards how much money am I going to generate? How much what am I doing social media wise? Are we knocking on doors to try to generate sponsorship opportunities? Um their focus is divided by definition. Their focus is now divided. Therefore, they will not, with a divided focus, come anywhere close to what their full potential is if they had 100% focus. So uh, I, I just feel like in terms of thinking long-term, man, get in the gym, get on the field, work on your craft. Everything is going to fall into place and take care of yourself. Um, uh, companies, individuals, they're not idiots. They know you're out there. They watch the games. And if they think that you can help them uh, improve the image of their brand or market their product, they will come knocking on your door. You don't have to reach out to them. If you do great uh, in your chosen craft, your field of endeavor, they'll come knocking on your door and, uh, and you'll have leverage then. Whereas if you go knocking on their door, you don't really have any leverage. Yeah, 100% agreed. want to kind of move on to the, the next kind of topic that I have with the Eastern Conference finals wrapping up soon. The Western Conference has already ended. Phoenix is moving on to the finals uh, for the first time in 30 years. They hadn't been in the playoffs for about 10 years. You were a part of an organization where with the Chicago Bulls, you guys had some very lean, struggling years, and then you drafted some, some lanky wing from North Carolina, and you built the Chicago Bulls brand with some very strategic thinking alongside some unbelievably play from Michael Jordan, leadership from Phil Jackson to become one of the most iconic sports franchises ever. When you have been bad for a while and you start to see things trending in the right direction, how do you on the marketing side and the business side try to capitalize? Because I look at Phoenix right now, they've been bad for, for quite some time. And all of a sudden now they're, 
in the NBA Finals. And as on the business side, you always have to think about capitalizing what's in front of you. Uh, ex- explain kind of how that works. Yeah. Well, well, the, the, the first thing you have to do is kind of understand uh, what your product is worth. Um, you have to really understand what it's worth to a company, uh, what your tickets are worth, you know, how you can price them appropriately. But I also think you have to take kind of a long-term view when you become great. Um, when we were great in the 90s, winning six championships in eight years, our view in marketing our product was completely long-term. We, we knew that in sports, injuries happen, players age, uh, things happen that you can't anticipate, and, and eventually that the music would stop. The music of the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, uh, Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman era would stop. And uh, so, so our view when we were marketing ourselves, when we were really great in the 90s, was uh, we wanted to have kind of a mentality as though we were a last place team in terms of customer service, in terms of pricing. We, we didn't want to be the highest ticket price in the league, but we didn't want to be the lowest, nor did we want to be in the middle. We were, we were always about the second or third highest price ticket in the league, which was appropriate for us, given that we wanted to make sure that once we stopped winning basketball games again, which inevitably would happen and did happen, that we would be able to keep our stadium full because we hadn't priced ourselves out of the market, either in sponsorships or in ticket sales. We would also go to long-term deals. So what the Suns should be thinking about now is capitalizing on their great success, signing long-term agreements with their sponsors at fair market value uh, that will ensure that whenever the music stops in Phoenix, and who knows what's going to happen with Chris Paul and the future there, um, that, that they will be protected long-term, that they can capitalize on Suns Mania, which is taking place in Phoenix right now. Same thing, perhaps, with season tickets. Uh, same thing with suite leases. Uh, get these, get these uh, agreements signed to long-term deals that will enable you to ride out any downturn in your on-the-court fortunes and give your basketball department the time they need to rebuild through free agency or the draft. That's that's a really interesting answer because that last piece talked about how intertwined they are. Uh, if the basketball is not working good, the business side kind of holds up, I, I guess, that portion of, of the franchise and keeping them relevant in the business community in the area, keeping them relevant within with the fan base because you've sold the tickets already. Uh, and, so- and, and Dan, if I may, let, let me just tell you that after we won our sixth championship, um, when Michael left and we traded Scotty and uh, Phil left, retired, uh, and Dennis Rodman uh, left, um, we went on over the course of the next six years to win 0.262% of our games. 26% of our games, we won. 74% of our games, we lost. And the games that we lost were like not nail biters. We, we got our tails kicked every single night. And uh, our product was horrible. I don't even know if it was CBA level or what they would now call G League level. So, um, but I'm, I'm proudest of the fact in my almost 30 years with the Bulls that during that six-year stretch when we only won 26% of our games and when everybody's predicting as soon as Michael left, the bottom would fall out in terms of attendance and interest and sponsorships and sweet sales and everything, we continued to lead the league in attendance over that six-year span. Uh, the, the, the kind of the, the maxim in our business was the sports marketing business was when you win, you draw, when you lose, you don't, and that will never change. And we proved 
over that six-year period that even though we were only winning 26% of our games, uh, we could still keep the building full. And that was my whole objective during the Jordan era, which it didn't take any genius to sell tickets in the Jordan era. Uh, what it did take was some uh, some foresight in, in, in understanding the history of sports is that you're not going to win forever. At some point, the music's going to stop. And at some point, um, uh, you're going to you know, you're, you, you know, what you've been doing during the Jordan years is going to, is going to bear fruit or show, show itself to be either good or bad. Well, fortunately what we did during the Jordan era to ensure that we gave our basketball department the time they needed to get lucky in the draft, which, they, which we did in year one, after we won, I don't know, 17 games in that year, we, we drafted Elton brand number one, we won the number one pick in the lottery. And then uh, a few years later, we ended up getting lucky again when we drafted Derek Rose. So, our, our job during the Jordan era was to make sure that when the music stopped, as Danette, we knew it would inevitably would, that, that we would continue to keep uh, the turnstile spinning, and, and, and we did. Well, you mentioned two guys that um, you're one of the few people probably that, uh, you know, has the ability to call them by their first name, Michael and Scotty, <laughs> two of the greatest players of all time. In my opinion, MJ uh, is the greatest ever. I don't think he's going to be touched. Um, and I don't want to get into that conversation now because I know where you would like go with that. And it would be MJ all day, I would imagine. <laughs> but um, with those two guys, and we're we've been talking a quite a bit about marketing, they were on the original 92 US Olympic dream team that really kind of created a massive interest in the game of basketball worldwide. Now all of a sudden we've got uh, European, Asian players, players from South America, everywhere across the world. Uh, it really provided a boom for interest in the, in the game of basketball. That was maybe their first opportunity to be on a global marketing platform. Do you think that's necessary for players in the NBA now to need to go to the Olympics to build their brand globally, or can they do it in other ways? Well, I, I, I don't think uh... – they need to, but I do think it's a positive uh, for them to participate in the Olympic Games. Um, LeBron has done, I don't know how many of them now, and um, <clears throat> I certainly understand his reluctance to want to do another one, especially in Japan, given that uh, things are a little scary with COVID over there right now. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think it's necessary, but I do think it's a positive thing to do once or twice. Uh, and uh, I don't think it could do anything but help your brand. So I, I would endorse any athlete that has that opportunity to do so. Well, Steve, I know you've got a tee time. Uh, a little jealous because Medina is an amazing golf course. I hope you uh, stay cool out there, even though it's probably hotter in the Pacific Northwest than it is right now in the Chicago area. But uh, stay cool and have a great round. And thanks again for joining the ISO. It's always great uh, to connect and uh, appreciate you being a part. Great being with you, Dan, always. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.